Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome. This is episode 19 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsor, Bill for Time. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Hey, Tom, this is, uh, I think, our last show of 2009, and it's great to be ending our first year on the Legal Talk Network. And I just want to to say thank you to the great team at, uh, at Legal Talk Network. They've just been a pleasure to work with. I have nothing but, but superlatives for everything they've done for us. Tom, uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, first, I want to join you in that thanks and thank uh, Lou and Scott and Kate and Mike uh, and the great job that they do. Uh, they make us look much better than we, I think, really are. Uh, for this episode, though, uh, it's that time of year again. It's the time when people start looking back on what happened in the past 12 months and start looking ahead to the next 12 months. And in this episode and the next, we're going to do both. Uh, in this part one, uh, we're going to talk about what we think were the biggest legal technology trends of 2009. In our second segment of the episode, we'll be answering a few questions from the mailbag. And as usual, we will end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use as soon as the podcast is over. But on to our main topic uh, of today, 2009. The end of the year is finally in sight, Dennis, and we thought uh, we'd take a look at some of the technology trends that stand out for us. Uh, Dennis, about this time last year, you put out and published your nine legal technology trends for 2009. How many of those turned out to be accurate? Well, you know, I do the the legal technology trends of the year as, on an annual basis, and I think the 2009 one turned out to be surprisingly accurate uh, f- for me. Um, and I, I refer to it as the year of hunkering down. And so I thought, and and a lot of my friends thought I was like really negative on this that that the economy was going to have an enormous impact on legal technology. And I think uh, of all my predictions, that's the one that really really turned out. And I think the podcast we did on the legal technology survey uh, bore that out. But I think uh, I think the trends were kind of easier to see in 2009 and, and not so surprising after all. How about you, Tom? Oh, I think you're right. I think that the, the big story uh, was really how Lots of law firms and lawyers kind of pulled back uh, this year on their legal technology spend, and they focused a lot more on infrastructure or on kind of making do with what they had. And so it was a, I think, sort of a quiet year, if you could say such a thing, in technology. And and, and there were some big things that we talked about uh, uh, in in the the session on the the law firm survey that we did. But um, I think that that what we saw a lot of was law firms uh, 
trying to kind of get a handle on what they needed to get done. I think in, a, in one respect, it was a good thing. It allowed them to sit back and take a look at what was important, where are they headed, what needs to be done. And it wasn't necessarily full speed ahead. Let's uh, let's jump into new technologies and do new things. And, and I, I think that that has led to, and we'll be talking about this later on, sort of uh, uh, a, a hopefully a concentration on client-driven technologies. You know, uh, one place where I think the legal spend was not as much as it should have been was also in the area of electronic discovery. You, in your nine trends last year, you had said that e-discovery would be in still waters, which I guess you, you meant to, to say there, there wouldn't be a ton of, of new and drastic things happening in the e-discovery field. And I think that's right. I think that there weren't major advances in, in e-discovery uh, over the past year. But but two things, I think, that were, were, were very big... I, and it all has to do, I think, with money. And because money is what drives e-discovery. And the first thing is that judges really got serious about cooperation. Back in 2008, the Sedona Conference issued the uh, the cooperation proclamation and courts really got behind it this year and ordered attorneys to pay attention to it and start cooperating uh, when dealing with discovery, which is an alien concept to a lot of lawyers who are used to zealous advocacy, even in the discovery process. I think the other big, uh, big topic that I think was big anyway, was the idea of search and the fact that we have so much data out there and that data is increasing in such uh, monumental ways. We, um, we, we don't have have a way of getting hold of it other than to learn how to use search to control it. And I think that defining and finding new technologies to help search and limit the amount, which in turn limits the cost, uh, was huge in 2009. I think it's just going to get bigger in 2010. Dennis, what do you think about the EDD developments of 2009? Yeah, I mean, my thought when I refer to electronic discovery being in still waters, which, which I think it really was in 2009, is, is looking at in terms of, of the technology that applies to, to e-discovery. So, I, I didn't really expect to see a lot of new advances. And I think that you, what you see is more in the area of refinement. So, I, I think there is that focus on, on search, which is a refinement of what was going forward. Clearly, the economics uh, came into play because as people started to say, why are we spending... Uh, uh, you know, getting estimates of gigantic amounts of, of spend on electronic discovery, does that make sense? Can we kind of go back to basics on the economy of that? And I also think that, and again, I would say still waters, meaning in terms of the technology used in electronic discovery, I think it was a big year for, for uh, court cases in electronic discovery that kind of helped interpret some things, probably come out about where people expect. And then the, the big trend in e-discovery, Tom, I think, ironically, perhaps, um, you're the perfect illustration of what, what I think is the biggest trend in, in uh, e-discovery, is that the lawyers who are sort of best known for uh, knowing about electronic discovery and those who know about uh, electronic discovery and have experience are being pulled out of the legal profession and law firms um, into or more law firms and the legal profession into the into the vendors the e-discovery vendor space and then I think into the corporate legal space as well in terms of records management and e-discovery. So Tom, you're the perfect example of of that trend. Of, of are you? seeing more people doing what, what you did this year? You know, I, I, I'm not seeing as many as I would thought, but would think, but it really makes sense. It's logical. There are a lot of 
uh, a lot of us lawyers who have technology backgrounds or at least technology interests who are uh, who are coming out of law firms and working for vendors or going in-house. Although I will say that a lot of law firms are developing their own in-house e-discovery departments, which are intended to compete with, and in some cases may very well compete with, some of the best e-discovery vendors who are out there. And so, uh, these lawyers probably aren't doing the same type of uh, billable uh, time that uh, that the rest of the partners in their firm are doing, but they are definitely staying in-house and, and working on e-discovery. I'd only contradict your still waters for technology, and I guess I wouldn't really contradict it, but I would say that, that what I've noticed with technology this year is that a lot of the tools that previously were sort of one-trick ponies, they could handle search well, or they could handle email, or they could do one particular piece of the e-discovery process very well, have started adding on extra modules so that a company who buys it or a law firm who buys it can really take on more and make it be a soup-to-nuts solution in e-discovery. And and again, I'm going to tie it back. I think that it has to do with saving money. And that's what law firms, that's what corporations want to do. E-discovery has traditionally been very expensive, and all these trends, I think, are going towards that model. Dennis, one of our favorite topics has been collaboration, and um, I've got to believe that collaboration was a big topic in 2009. Where are your thoughts with that? I mean, again, it's economically driven. I mean, as travel budgets, as other budgets get cut, people are looking for better ways to work together uh, that that use technology, that use the internet, um, that don't don't require a lot of cost. And to me, that's the whole area of collaboration: technology, conferencing, uh, sharing documents, using the internet as a as a collaboration platform. Um, and we we've seen an a number of developments in in those areas. Plus, uh, what you alluded to in e-discovery as well is that people are looking for ways to use what's already there better. Uh, so you're looking at the collaboration tools that are built into the the uh, the software that you already have or the tools that you already have, and and so that I, I think uh, continues to to be a big trend. Uh, and and a number of developments uh, have happened this year. Um, and, and let me be the first on this podcast to throw out the the term social media and Twitter, which I think are uh, uh, this is some other examples of, of that really kind of fall into the collaboration uh, area as well. I think what's been interesting about collaboration technology this year is that there haven't been, and I may get slapped down for this by you or by other of our listeners, but there haven't been, in my opinion, um, huge advances in new technologies, unless you want to count Google Wave. I think Google Wave is an amazing new technology that is perfect for col- types of certain types of collaboration. Uh, but you know, one of the things that I do during the year is is search out and look for new collaboration tools. That, that would work with our book or with our collaboration tools wiki. And I see a lot and a lot of the same thing, the same types of things that you're uh, that we're used to seeing. And we have been seeing for a couple of years, just people, other people and other companies jumping on the bandwagon to do it. I, I do agree that a lot of this is and, and what's been happening with collaboration over the past year is economy driven. I read an article this morning that says that the online meetings and conference business is absolutely booming. And it 
it has not just to do with the economy, but companies are learning that regardless of whether they can afford to send their folks uh, uh, to other places for meetings, they would prefer to save that money and and use online conferencing instead. So it's really showing already in a number of different types of collaboration technologies that uh, people are using. Well, SharePoint, I mean, it, when we say there's, there's not this vast new development, and this can kind of reflect back when I was saying about electronic discovery as well, is that it, there are these tools out there that uh, are in their ways are becoming standards. Um, and I think in you, you, what you do, you, you obviously have standards in, in what you're doing in electronic discovery. But I think you say SharePoint, some of these other things are turning into collaboration platforms. And so in one sense, they're kind of old news because we've been talking about them for a long time and they exist. But I also think that people are now really starting to look to them and seeing some of the refinements and developments. So again, it's more refinement than say, say a new or breakthrough technology. So if I can use the, the analogy, it's like, we're not, I don't see that we're seeing like the new case maps coming out anymore. It's, it's more refining what's already out there. Well, it has a lot to do, I think, with the fact that to a certain extent, the legal uh, profession is behind on certain technologies. I mean, lawyers finally discovered Twitter this year, and it's been out for how many years? Three years already. Um, yeah, so we've been on it for almost three years. So. That, that's right. And so I, I think that there's going to there's a lag time in there that has something to do with it. SharePoint's been out for a long time, and now it's the best thing since sliced bread for a lot of law firms and a lot of companies, legal departments to, to use. Um, let's let's hit our final sort of big trend of the year, and we're going to combine these these trends. And we talked about them in, I think it was our last podcast, and that's the mobile platform and uh, moving your practice, moving everything you do into the cloud. Dennis, what do you think happened this past year as far as mobile technology and cloud computing is concerned? I mean, again, economically driven. But I, I think that the, uh, I'll say one thing, and we talked about in the last podcast, the, the smartphone, the, the fast mobile internet access, uh, unlimited data plans have made a dramatic have really speeded up the evolution of of the mobile platform and you add in that the iPhone apps the BlackBerry apps the Nokia apps uh, the the Google Android app stores are all uh, having us look at the the as I say the mobile platform so you say can what can the phone do that I was re relying on a computer to do or can I just have a netbook that has limited functionality but has the the mobile access. So again, I say economically driven. I think cloud computing, uh, which is we can think of as software as a service, but essentially using the internet to access applications and use applications, um, is has become interesting because of the economics of it. If you're looking to say I can pay a monthly fee to perform certain operations, do certain tasks, whether that's case management, other other things like that, online backup. Um, and I can do that on a monthly basis, monthly fee basis, as opposed to investing in new hardware, software, and people to do that in-house, um, it becomes attractive. And I think probably uh, what we've started to see is that more than ever before, and I think lawyers are going into this with their eyes open as to you know what the different risks and potential of, of this is, that people are s saying the, the cloud application software as a service 
now really get considered as a possible alternative? So if I'm doing an RFP and I'm looking at three or four different technologies, I think now in law firms, especially in large law firms, that the there will be a cloud application um, that will be one of the alternatives that gets gets considered um, just for economic reasons alone. I think that's right, and I think that uh, that that of the topics we've discussed so far in this podcast, these two are are ones that I think have made sort of the greatest strides in the past year. Although cloud computing was around before two thousand nine, and mobile computing certainly was around, you know, this year was really the explosion. If if we're talking about apps being one of the major drivers of the mobile platform, they really really did take off in two thousand nine. Cloud computing really did take off as an alternative to uh, to 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 regular workstation-based or, or computer-based uh, uh, computing uh, this past year. So I, I think that these two of the ones we're talking about tend to be the ones that, t- to my mind, are, are, the, are, are the biggest uh, stories of the year. Dennis, to what extent do you think that a lot of these trends we've been talking about are client-driven? Well, I think increasingly so. I, I don't know that client-driven is as much a trend as I might have predicted in 2009, but I would say probably in the last three months of 2009, I see it as becoming more so. And so, if you say clients are driving budget considerations, um, having certain expectations about extranets and other things, I think that the client factor is coming in. But I also think that, uh, you know, again, if you look at the budget and you're trying to make decisions about technology, one great strategy to have and one great question to ask as you're considering different technology projects is to say, um, what's the benefit to clients? Does this really benefit clients? Does this give clients something they need uh, more so than kind of keeping the internal law firm focus that, that a lot of law firms have? I certainly think that client-driven decisions have made a big effect in the e-discovery world. Uh, the clients now are are trying uh, at, to run it. You know, usually the law firms uh, would like to uh, keep a lot of the e-discovery in-house because they generate a lot of their revenue from review of documents and processing and things like that. And I think that the, the companies are trying to take a lot of that back with these new technologies, with new ways of dealing with, uh, with processing and trying to do more things in-house. So, I, I think that there is something and, and I agree with you. In the past few months, it's probably stepped up a little bit more than it has uh, over the, the the rest of the year. Dennis, why don't you take us out with a few thoughts? Well, I, you know, in a way, the past is prologue. I mean, you really do have to look back at what you've done to figure out where you're going. And I, I think the end of the year, I mean, it's almost a cliche that you do, you look back and you look forward. But I think it really is important um, in these times to take a look at what's going on with technology, what you're doing, get an understanding of that, see what other people are doing and, and make good strong, hard-headed business decisions about the technology that you're using. And that, I think, is the big message of, of 2009. Well said. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Bill for Time. Bill for Time. 
Bill for Time tracks, organizes, and invoices your billable time. Time is money, and this legal billing software helps you keep track of both. All you need is a computer and internet connection. Manage your billable time on your phone, too. Great personal customer support and tutorials quickly get you on your way. Go to BillForTime.com slash LegalTalkNetwork and get a 30-day free trial of any level of Bill for Time subscriptions. That's Bill, four as the number, time.com slash LegalTalkNetwork. Are you interested in sponsoring programs on the Legal Talk Network? We'd love to have you on board. Contact our sales department today at 781-551-9960. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Tom, I understand we have a few questions from our audience this week. We sure do. This past week, we had a pretty lively discussion, I would say, on the Google Wave that we've set up for the Kennedy Mile Report, which led to a couple of questions. By the way, if you're interested in continuing the conversation with us, both before and after this and future podcasts, join us on our Wave. Uh, Just head over to wave.google.com and search the public waves for the Kennedy Mile Report. But on to our two main questions that came out of our conversation the past week. Ben Shore asks for our opinion on the state of productivity software. He mentions that Office 2010 is due out this June, and he wonders whether those lawyers who are still using Office 2003 will make the jump straight to 2010, or will the gap between new software and lawyers' adoption of it just keep getting wider? Dennis, your thoughts? First of all, I'm I'm kind of shocked to hear you call it Office 2010. That's the first time I've ever heard anybody call it 2010. But uh, um, I'm going to go ahead and call it Office 2010. But actually, part of my pessimism about legal technology in 2009 was happened in January when I heard a couple different lawyers tell me that their firm were doing like a big migration um, for Office. And they weren't moving. And I was going, oh, this is great because I think Office 2007 is probably the best version for lawyers where, you know, there's really a lot going in Office 2007 for lawyers. And I found out they were, they were doing the big migration to Office 2003 in, in 2009. So, <laughs> um, I, I think that. What is kind of interesting, though, is there is a temptation right now to say, um, for those firms that are on Windows XP, Office 2003, and earlier versions, to say, hey, if we're looking in in the sort of June timeframe, or later 2010, can we jump Vista and Office 2007? And I think that will become an attractive thing to do for, for uh, a number of firms, or at least to consider. Um, especially as you consider the way that that lawyers use the office programs. I mean, we do we're not like power or word processors, but lawyers use word processing. A few use PowerPoint. Probably fewer still use Excel spreadsheets. And so, if you say if if I jump from Office 2003 to 2010, probably the training curve is not that great. People can pick the stuff up. We, you know, we use you know if you're on Google Docs, you've learned how to use another word processor. You might use multiple email programs. So, I don't think the learning curve is that great. So, I think it's going to be tempting for firms to, to make that that sort of leap over into the newest versions. You know, I agree with you. I, I have seen in a number of law firms and companies that I've been working with, uh, finding out that, that they are just now getting around, I guess, in contrast to what you've seen, uh, getting around, and, and they are now upgrading to Office 2007 or are just now doing it. 
with Office 2010, is that better, uh, in, in sight. Uh, and I've been surprised that they've been doing that. You know, Office 2007 was a big upgrade from 2003 with the introduction of the ribbon and the different uh, user interface that uh, Microsoft uh, laid out, which I've been using now for a couple of years. I really like it. I think it's intuitive. I, I think it's a good move from Microsoft. And I've been playing around with Microsoft 2010, and it's not that much different. Uh, the only main difference is that Outlook now is a, it has adopted the ribbon, which the Office 2007 version of Outlook does not have. And so there aren't a lot of differences between 2007 and 2010. There are some additional features that are added on to, uh, to sort of connect Office with the online world, with the cloud, with collaboration. So those are some exciting new things that they've got. But there's not a ton of difference. I, though, am skeptical about whether firms will do this. I seem I always tend to think that, uh, you know, the firms that I've talked to about Windows 7 will say, well, we're going to adopt it, but only after the first service pack comes out. I, I wonder whether lawyers are, will say the same thing about Windows 2010 and say, uh, I'm, we're going to go ahead and go with 2007 and then wait a couple years and make sure that all the bugs are ironed out of 2010. I don't think it works quite that way this this time, but but I'll be interested to see what happens. I, I, think, it, I think it could go either way, frankly. Um, the well, question- I'm not predicting it will happen. Remember, I, I, my emphasis was on, I think that firms will consider it. That's um, probably but true. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure they'll move, but, I, I, but I, 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 it's an interesting option. No, I agree. That that question led to a comment from Gwen Monahan to the effect that what lawyers ought to be doing is moving to open office, which is free. They could then save that money spent on Microsoft Office and plunge it into infrastructure or buy other new legal technology. Dennis, we have a very few minutes to talk about this. What do you think the chances are that lawyers would embrace open source like uh, open office instead of an old standby like Microsoft Office? Well, I, I think it's very slight, but I think it's greater than ever. And, uh, you know, I've been after you, Tom, to do an episode on open source uh, for the podcast one these days, and maybe I'll, I'll talk you into it. But I think that um, like Google Docs, Open Office is is kind of an interesting niche player. So if you said we have people or we have uses uh, for word, you know, very limited word processing, people who don't really need an Excel spreadsheet except maybe once or twice a year, um, can we save the cost of getting them the full Office suite by going to Open Office, which is free and is is similar or using Google Docs? Um, Will that give us some savings and keep us from spending money on technology or software, especially that never gets used? And so, again, it's it, I think it will come into consideration um, probably more than ever before. But I, you know, I think that clients use the Microsoft Office tools. You want to make sure you have compatibility. Um, so I don't think you really want to take the chance on going to another platform sort of across the board. But there are there are definitely firms, small firms out there, especially that are that are going the open source approach with Open Office. And I really think that it would be the smaller firms or the solo lawyers that would be moving to something like Open Office. Because I think one of my thoughts is is that even though you would have zero hard costs in in moving from Microsoft Office to Open Office, you you could potentially have a lot of soft costs because you'll be basically telling the lawyers that they need to learn a new software. And and while there may not be a ton of differences between Microsoft Office and Open Office, and I'll be honest, I've tried it. I haven't used it in a number of years, so I'm not that familiar with how it works, but getting lawyers to use a new 
software is going to take training, and, as our friend Adriana Linares would tell us, and uh, and it will take a lot of time for them to get used to. Not to mention the pushback that many lawyers have about using new software. On the other hand, it is word processing after all. So I mean, it's it's something that we kind of know how to do, and there's certain sort of core uh, core skills that that we all all have at this point. But Tom, it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, what do you got? Well, uh, a very timely tip. Uh, speaking of Microsoft Office 2010, Microsoft is doing something very interesting this time around, and they're offering a beta version of the entire Office suite for free for you to try. So just head over. We'll put the link in the show notes. Head over to the Microsoft uh, Office 2010 site, and you can download the entire set. I've downloaded it. I've been using it. I've got everything on my computer right now. Um, I installed it alongside of 2007, so I haven't lost that. Uh, installation either. Um, it's a great way to try out and test out the new features, and you can actually participate in the beta test and send back screenshots of things that aren't working for you. And nothing beats free, except that you got to remember that when the beta is over, you either have to buy it or uninstall. Yes. Um, you know, Tom, I, I think I've touched on this before, but I've been doing this experiment that I'm just really happy with, and, and I've been recommending to people, and that's... Um, I've I really listen to a lot of podcasts these days and um, on the Legal Talk Network and otherwise. And what I found that in the newest version of iTunes or in the iPod software, I forget, I don't know which, but um, a lot of podcasts give you the ability to change the speed that they're played. And so you can play them at, at double speed. So there's a little button that says 1x, 2x, and half x. Um, and I put things on 2x. And basically, I listen to podcasts in, in half the time that they would otherwise take. And it takes just a tiny bit of time to get used to the faster speed um, because it doesn't distort at all. It's just faster. And it allows you to listen to a lot more podcasts and to take on some of the longer podcasts that you might not otherwise have the time to do. So people who listen to podcasts, uh, which is, I assume, everyone listening to this, might this is something that is a really interesting experiment. I'd love to hear what other people are, are finding out about it who try it. But um, I just think it's uh, been a, a great way to to deal with the podcast backlog. Yep. I've ever since you told me about it or told me you were using it, I have done it and I just love it. I highly encourage everybody to uh, to speed up their podcasts. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Links to the topics we discussed today, as well as how to follow us on our blogs or on Twitter, will be available on our show notes wiki, which is located at tkmreport.com. We're also on Twitter at tkmreport. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or visit us on Google Wave. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Our favorite trend is you continuing to listen to this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.